that got me thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. I've been thinking about writing. What makes a good story? What qualities combine to make a good storyteller? And what elements must come together in unison on the written page to make an eager reader sigh at the beauty of the passage they've just read? And I've also been thinking about the relationship between writing and editing, the writer and the editor. My guests today are writers Richard Todd and Tracy Kidder. They are the authors and editors of Good Prose, The Art of Nonfiction, Stories and Advice from a Lifetime of Writing and Editing. Welcome and thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, my first question is how to address the two of you. You always use your last names uh, in work and in the book. I'm wondering if that's true in your world outside of writing and if it's okay if I do the same. <laughs> well, I, I don't much care, but uh, I, I call, I tend to call him Todd. Stick. <laughs> okay. He does about the same thing. Yeah, okay. But, I, but we're happy to slip into a first name basis with you, Elliot. Oh no, Kidder and Todd <laughs> works for me. I like the energy of that. Okay. So, so we'll go there. Um, I want to start with a review from the Provost Daily Herald. Kidder and Todd are amiable companions, dazzling good at what they do by virtue of original gifts and hard, relentless work. They have teamed up to splendid effect, likely to become a classic in the tradition of strunk and white elements of style, but with more stories. And I'd add a qualifier there, fabulous stories. Uh, What inspired the idea to write this book? Well, um, I think uh, we we had both done quite a bit of talking on this subject over the years, uh, teaching and lecturing. Uh, And I think we looked one day at, we each had a nice, stack of papers, uh, and we uh, thought, well, we made the classic mistake that um, surely we have a book here. This wouldn't, this, this wouldn't be hard to do. And then, of course, we um, bent to the task and had to rewrite virtually everything we had said. But um, that's what got going, really. We, uh, we realized we'd been talking about this for a long time, and, uh, and we, there might be a book in it. And that wasn't a new uh, event for either of you to have a pile of writing and think there was there and then end up rewriting it once or many, many times. Right. And so what was the actual, let's talk a little bit about the process of writing the book and collaborating in, in this way. Of course, you're, you're used to collaborating, but did you, excuse me, did you establish rules for engagement? No. <laughs> Those always get invented as you, one goes along. Uh, it was kind of fun for me because... I, I mean, a, a special kind of fun for me, because I got to um, edit some of Dick's writing, and um, I found that he was a little touchier than I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to get into depth in that a little bit later in the show. But there weren't any sort of, you, you had rules already that you had established through your writing about writing, but for this particular book, did you... Decide about taking um, chapters separately or how you would write chapters together or did a process develop once you started rewriting that pile of papers? Well, we, you know, we, that that evolved. I mean, we, you know, we wrote a bunch of stuff, yeah, and um, almost all the, my pile of papers anyway was just jettisoned. And um, by you or by Todd? <laughs> by mutual Okay. By mutual agreement, yeah, and and mine mine uh, bit the dust too. It's just a different thing, you know, from 
from preparing a lecture to preparing a book that holds together. And we, uh, 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 my preoccupation at first was, huh, are we going to write this in the editorial we, or, or how are we going to separate our, um, you know, our, ourselves here? And uh, for a very little while, in the very in the introduction of the book, we I used the we used the we, but we dropped that quickly. It, that was not going to work. I just thought. I don't know why it survived, but it, it seemed to work all right for a very limited period of time. And then, I don't know, you know, it's hard to, in the end, to 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 go back over to go to go back and figure out who who suggested what. But at some point, it seemed right to us to write uh, to write most of a lot of this book in a in a kind of corporate voice. I, the corporate's the wrong word, but a, an assembled voice. And uh, yeah, and and then for each of us to um, to write bits in our uh, just by ourselves with our own initials attached. And did you grant each other uh, veto capabilities? I remember hearing the authors of the Starcatcher series talk about they would send chapters back and forth, and they each had sort of one veto power without any reason or excuse, <laughs> and the next one had to be justified. No, we don't have rules like that. No, we we tried to we tried to reason together, as they used to say, um, and, and and mostly we did. We don't so the, very often about about those sorts of things. I, you I, have reasoned discussions. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, and usually the term is this works or it doesn't work or um, more true collaboration. Very long time. Oh, 40, over forty years. And we tend to uh, we tend to agree on a lot of stuff we we happily discovered. Yeah, I mean the truth is that most of the time I'm waiting to hear what Todd has to say about something that I've written. I'm proposing he's disposing. <laughs> we're just finishing. Actually, as it happens, we're just finishing the uh, correcting the proofs. The, really, the last act of a book uh, on a new book. So, or almost today, we will it will be finished. But this was a different enterprise. I mean, we it was more. Um, we both were doing parts of the job that the other that that you know had used to be divided. So it was it was interesting. And Tracy was right. I was far more prickly than I uh, than let's say than I recommend writers being. <laughs> it's a very hard thing for a writer to learn how to be edited. You know, um, really is. And, and some never do learn it, but those who do, I think, uh, benefit as so long as they have deep, good editors, you know. <laughs> and the, there's an introductory quote part of the introduction that says, "Our doctrine is that the author and the reader should move along together in full confidence with each other." By Anthony Trollope from Barchester Towers. How about the writer and the editor? How did you two develop the confidence that you clearly have in in and with each other? Well, you know, it isn't that, there's nothing absolutely necessary in that relationship. Just the way it evolved. I, um, I mean, what, what Trump's talking about is what is what's there on the page, and what and what that will, what that will occasion. Um, what's done that the reader doesn't see. That really, how it's done doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of interest to those who do it, I suppose. But we, I don't know. We worked together for so long; it's hard to remember. We tell a little bit of that history in this book. Uh, I enjoyed doing it, dredging up those memories. 
Um, I don't know. What do you? Tracy has an. Un- I mean, we. I have a thin skin, uh, and Tracy has an unusually thick one. Um, we, because uh, I used to be fairly abusive to him. I think during uh, during our magazine days, <clears throat> when he was just getting going, we were quite young at this business. I was a young editor at the Atlantic, and and he was a younger. He will not cease to remind me a younger. Um, writer and uh but he hadn't published and and these things kept um sort of bouncing back from the editor in chief and and um so we we worked a long time together and we just got to know each other and and uh Tracy could stand a certain amount of criticism and he could also uh, do something that really surprisingly few writers can do he can rewrite, and he and he had developed an infinite patience for rewriting. And if, I can't think of anything that serves a writer better than the willingness to go back and and uh, try it again. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. It's not just a willingness. Sometimes, sometimes it's an eagerness to do it. You know, I don't know if I wrote this, but I, I have when I have had students, which isn't very often. Um, I've often tried to persuade them that this was a wonderful gift that you're given, the opportunity to rewrite something. It's In effect, you're being allowed to do a job in a sloppy way and then take it back and do it all over again before anyone has to get the chance to really criticize you for it. Yes, I think as we say at some point that this is a gift that uh, comes with the trade of writing and it's certainly not a universal one we would not we don't give surgeons a chance to do over, to yeah. do it over or and even hard for even artists it's a harder process it, so that writing you really can make your mistakes in 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 private and correct them and yet that doesn't seem to be a typical uh response from a large number of writers that the the writing the first draft tends at least in it seems in fiction have more of the energy and the rewriting is more of harder work and, and treachery. Well, as John McPhee once said, no one makes rules for everybody. <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 just in my own limited experience, I, I find that um, most of the writers I, whom I know and admire, do a, a lot of rewriting. And, but, and, and, and enjoy it. it. Well, I don't know if they enjoy it or not. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just the opposite of the situation you just described. I I hate writing rough drafts. I I feel stupid. My 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 mind, which is always in chaos, is just in much worse chaos as I do these things. It's getting to the end of one of those. It's a it's a relief, and then to begin to try to pull some order out of that chaos. That that for me is what's delightful. So the critical voice is quieted after that first draft, and you're sort of more free to. To no, get I in think and the way around. I think the critical voice is tempered by, you know, the. I don't know. I try to write rough drafts without a critical voice, and it shows. <laughs> uh, the, 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 I mean, of course, it's always there, waiting in the wings, you know, ready to pounce. But, but we're rewriting. You want the critical voice. You, you just have to learn how to modulate it. It helps. But a then lot. it can it can critique what's outside of you now at this point, right? It's not saying you're an idiot. It's saying maybe that's not the best sentence ever. 
That's an interesting point, that at a certain point, you one hopes that you're able to objectify things a little bit, so it's the it's the words on the page. It's not your your soul on the page. Whether I would be able to do that without uh, that, without Todd's help is another matter, since I never have had to do that exactly. In other words, what what I always what I needed in an editor was is not is someone who says exactly that. You're not stupid. This just isn't working. It's it's very tempting, particularly when you're a young writer, to to feel that if someone says, "No, oh, this is no good," you're no good either. Uh, you know, and uh, that's that's quite discouraging. Um, yeah. And, 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 and it's incumbent on an editor to 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 try to keep that distinction plain. And what was it, Todd? You talk a lot at the beginning of the book about, and partly in jest, but to develop the tone, but but about the first article that Kidder wrote and going uh-huh. back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What was it that you saw? that since you said, I'm going to use you inclusively, as you used we sometimes, I'm not sure who said certain things, but that writing is revision, all prose responds to work, and that you did say that Kidder was a writer who was willing to work harder, and your wife said it about you later, that you both were, were willing to work really hard at it. Was there something else you saw initially that you knew that, okay, Kidder's, Kidder's good, it's worth the effort? I think what I saw was, Sheer naked desire. <laughs> he, 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 he really wanted. He really wanted to do this, <laughs> and, uh, and he was going to do nothing else in life. And um, um, and of course, there were glimmers of uh, observation. And but we, the style that this first piece, we've often had a little mirth on this subject. The style of um, that first piece was far different from the style that uh, ended up appearing in print. Yeah, that's true. It, <laughs> I think it was, um, it, he just felt sorry for me. And, <laughs> you know, well, I might as well try and help this poor, poor sod. Um, it was, <laughs> I'm glad he did. I, I have no complaints. And, um, Todd, you said at one point the best thing an editor can do is to help the writer to think, and this is the most satisfying part of an editor's work, collaborating at the level of structure and idea. And you seem to really get in there early. I was surprised when I read that a lot of the book ideas that you wrote had come from from Todd or your discussions with Todd or, or Todd and his wife, Susan. And um, Is that no, no, that's quite right. one typical? Did. One, just one. Well, well, one was really his, another was his wife's. From elsewhere, but I always dis- I, I mean, but, but once I once the idea was there, I bring it to him. But I, I do like to get involved as soon as possible. I I have felt no particular ownership over ideas for for books. They come from where they come from. But to get involved as an editor early in the game is a real privilege, and it's a privilege that very few writers are willing to grant because writers are like everybody, sort of sensitive and like to make their errors in private. And uh, to be brought in early in the game gives you a chance really to help shape the thing. Often writers will jealously hold on to a manuscript and deliver it to uh, their editors when it's a when it's such a done thing that it's very hard to undo. 
So for an editor to be involved early in the game is a great thing. And for you, Kidder, it was a great thing as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, at, at this point, you know, we've been doing this for over 40 years. I, I'm i not entirely sure I could figure out another way to do it at this point. I, um, I don't know. I don't know what I... Oh, well. So let's talk a little bit just about the uh, writing um, and, and writing good prose and the initial relationship to the reader and their imagination. One of you, or both of you, in agreement said that you, you have a relationship and responsibility maybe even to the reader to spark and, and use their imagination. Yep. Is that something you sort of became aware of the more you wrote or something you were conscious of as readers? I, I, I'm not sure that you're oh, as readers. Uh, I mean, I, I think it. I think it's a, a. For me, it's not. This isn't. Um, my only reluctance in writing this book was there were. I was afraid I'd be writing about things that I'd rather not bring fully to my into my conscience conscious mind. But I, we, I can't imagine that we would ever sit down and say, "Gee, we got to get this." Uh, this character into the reader's imagination that's that's that, that wouldn't help much you know deconstructing it too far ways to do that, but do that and you don't even put a name to it you don't you know, i'm i'm not aware that i'm trying to get a, a character into a reader's imagination i'm aware that i'm trying to write something that that seems you know and and they they use the vaguest terms that that works you know I think one thing we say about the relationship with the reader, though, is true, even though it's not the sort of thing you say to yourself all the time, but it's fundamental to trust the reader's intelligence and assume that um, the reader has a mind that, the reader has a mind that's different from yours and knows things that but also knows things that you don't know, even as you know things that the reader doesn't know. So, but the point is, you're you're in some way, you imagine that you're talking as you are talking to an equal. Right, but and there's more to it than that. Of course, you know, I do think that you, the worst kind of writing is the solipsistic kind. You know, the, the doesn't I don't care what my reader about my reader. <laughs> I'll, I'll write this the way I want to write it and let the reader figure it out. And I, I do like that line of, uh, I guess it's uh, E.B. White's about throwing the reader a rope. You know, if you've, if you've, you've created this swamp and put him in it, you ought to at least give him a rope, something like that. I, I, I think one ought to always be considerate of this vast or maybe tiny amorphous day called the reader um, and, and, and kindly to that person. Yeah, you're asking the reader to spend several hours with you, and you don't want to make it any harder than it has to be. And so you try to arrange things in a way that is not only interesting and and uh, but but is sensible, you know, so that you so the reader is able to follow you from step to step and and wants to. Yeah, and 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 my 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 bias on this is that I don't want to try to impress the reader. About my virtuosity, I, you know that uh, some writers do it and they do it, I guess, successfully. It's sort of like being at a cocktail party. 
with someone, uh, most of the time you kind of want to get away from those people. <laughs> but once in a while, it's not the case. You know, I, I, I think someone who, like Vladimir Nabokov, might be a, a shining exception to this rule, but uh, I, I think I think you, what you want to do is take your jer- reader somewhere on a journey, and you want you know you don't want the reader even necessarily to be thinking about you, the writer, um, or, or just how this is being done. Yeah. In fact, I remember, and I can't think of the phrase now, but there was a flashy metaphor that that you had in a in the opening paragraph of a book and. It was a nice metaphor, but it was a little too flashy. It was the only thing you saw in the paragraph, and it sort of called attention to the to the um, to the, oh, to the I writer. Know what you mean. Yeah. And you said, you know, I'm worried about this, and I said, I think you're right. You know, why don't we? It's a great metaphor. Let's put a couple of pages in. No, what I think we did was actually we buried it. Well, well, I mean, we kept it. Yeah, right. Well, we buried it in the in the paragraph. It was in the opening paragraph of Strength and What uh, Remains, and it was it wasn't great, but it it closed the paragraph, and there. Were, and there, and there was something in the, it, it just in that, maybe it's just in my mind, but that insinuated. It was like a, a, like an assertion. Closing the paragraph with that, with that little, nice little meta- metaphor was like an assertion that, hey, this is a nice little metaphor, reader, admire me. <laughs> so what we did was we, we, we put it, we, we, we moved it back in the paragraph. I think that's right. Didn't yeah. end the paragraph. <clears throat> And are the, the elements of structure and strategy taught, are they more in your conscious mind and more presently in your conscious mind while you two are working together in the way that you broke it apart in the book? I mean, you have sort of ideas of narrative and character and structure and style and point no, of view. Very collaborative. I'm, Not mm-hmm. me. Not in my mind. Yes, he <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, because uh, what we're dealing with is, is a bunch of material. Mm-hmm. And, and once I've gotten, I, I don't worry. I, when I write a rough draft, and I mean, I basically when I'm writing a rough draft, I apply to Todd for reassurance, but not for help. <laughs> I'm beyond help. Yeah, he and, says it's and, good. Keep going. That's his line. That's right. It's uh, good. Keep going. But the the point is that once I have, once I have the material down in some form that at least seems more or less or somewhat comprehensible, that's when you begin to try to figure out how to mold or shape it. And the reason I say we couldn't possibly approach a project in a, in, in a sort of disciplined fashion of the, we'll, look at the, we'll look at this first and then we'll look at the, this and this and this is that, in, in my experience, I'm pretty sure Todd would agree that every single book has always has had, you know, a number, number of problems. But as the rewrites went on, there was almost always one that would identify itself as the big one. And actually, in, in one case that I can think of, it, it came very early, uh, this identification of the one big problem. But those are never the same kind of thing, exactly. And I think, I mean, maybe that's a good sign. I do think books ought to grow organically out of, you know, the out of the contest between the writer and the material, or, or I don't know, contest is the right word, but... I think it's a good word, actually. I mean, you <laughs> you are trying to <clears throat> wrestle this fish onto the boat. Yeah, and 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 what you did last time isn't going to work. I remember learning that lesson from Dick when I was writing. I forget which book it was, but I'd written a pretty good book um, with his help. Um, I think it was uh, yeah, it was a book called House, and 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 I was writing a book after that, and and he and at some point in one of the fairly early drafts, 
he said, you know, you're trying to use techniques you, you invented for yourself in-house, in and they don't work here. You know, forget those. He said other things to me like that on, on other occasions. That's very useful advice, by the way. I, I had written in, uh, for my book, Mountains Beyond Mountains, I had written a, a, uh, a magazine article for The New Yorker about the, the, the protagonist of, of that book, and uh, you know, I've, uh, some parts of that article I thought were pretty good, and I assumed that I would use every bit of them uh, in in a book about this guy. And <clears throat> at some point, Todd said, "You're going to have to smash that article. It's these things don't belong here." Yeah, some structures work in 20 pages and just can't be stretched to 200. But and, it, and it's true, I think that some writers have formulas, <clears throat> but I. We don't. I know. I, I know we don't. <laughs> um, we have habits and predilections and biases and all kinds of other uh, sins. But um, but I don't think we have. We have habits. a lot better habits than we used to have. <laughs> I don't smoke six packs of cigarettes anymore. Uh, you know, well near the end of a book, and we used to we used to drink. We no longer a have a really good wine when we finished the book. We don't do that anymore. So it's actually kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that, that part, some of that might be kind of fun. Yeah, it, it was kind of fun. <laughs> it <laughs> seemed like for both of you, you find, and, and let's talk about if this is so, that you find the story um, working through it. Todd, you had said that Kidder discovers his stories by writing and rewriting them. And I know when you were talking about the timeline and sorting out the timeline, Deo's story and what remains that there was a moment for you Todd where you're like oh okay aha like I now see where the story is and then you could sort out the timeline from there um, yeah people people talk about story sometimes as if it's just an obvious thing sitting on the table you know what a good story you will hear about and really what they mean is what a good situation a story doesn't exist in in the world. A story is something that gets created by a writer, and and so you can have dramatic events and facts and so on, but somebody has to put them together. Yeah, and and you know, and, and as Todd likes to say, that you know the the whole art of this, or a lot of the art of this, is is making some things big and other things little. So it's not just, uh, you know, there's so much to say about those those kinds of things. No, it's not a it's not a simple matter, I don't think. And how about in that same vein and developing the characters? And, you know, I thought when I read that part of the book, I thought, okay, that I wouldn't have thought about that in this way in nonfiction as I would have in fiction. And in a way, it's even sort of more important because they actually do exist out in the world. And yeah. It's hard. What, you know, I mean, I think that's really one of the principal – we object – I think we agree to object to the term characterization. It sounds because that suggests that there is some kind of formula to it's it. It's like know, pin it's, the tail on the donkey. You know, that you just <laughs> sort of <clears throat> you have a bunch of traits and attributes and you attach them to a person. You, so, yeah, characterization is a kind of clumsy word for a clumsy act. I, I, what really you you try to get a sense of who this person is and look for. For things that are representative of of that person, and and arrange them artfully. Way, ways to, uh, you know, and it's very. I think I 
think we say this, that if, if you're interested in trying to learn how to do this, and many, many people who write nonfiction clearly aren't, or at least they've never really tried. But they have made, they may have aims that seem more important to them and perhaps are more important to them. But if this is something you know you want to do, you should be reading a fair amount of really good fiction. People like Graham Greene who can do this, uh, sometimes it would seem by magic. I mean, Graham Greene has this, in his best books, has this astonishing ability to make you feel like you can see this person right in front of you and you look back and it's possible that he's only given you one physical detail, mm-hmm. you know, like a the guy's bald pink knees, as he says. Or um, And does it feel like a responsibility sort of as you're writing? Do you have that on your shoulders of of wanting and trying to depict this person in a light that is at, at the, the least maybe accurate from your experience? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a huge responsibility for a nonfiction writer and rather different from a from the responsibility of a fiction writer who has freedom to invent. Um, but the nonfiction writer has freedom to select, and that has a heavy moral uh component too i mean you, you can you can do a nasty version of just about anybody and your moral responsibility really is to make sure that the the thing that you write selectively represents your sense anyway your honest sense of of the whole of the person it's uh, it's really difficult i mean that's a that's a um I mean, beyond that, first of all, there is a legal obligation there to worry about that. Uh, you know, you're, you're, there is there is libel, slander. There's invasion of privacy. Um, but even beyond those, you know, I don't think anyone who's written for a while hasn't come to the realization that it is possible to write something that is, and, I, and we believe in factual accuracy, but it is possible to write something that is absolutely factually accurate and is nonetheless one big lie. Um, I, you know, and I, I'm trying to think of good examples, and I can't right at the moment. But I, I do think you want to you want to see if you can't capture the sense of a person in the round. Human being is far too complicated a, a being to to, to 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 ever to be captured entirely. Too unpredictable, too contradictory, and so on. But if you can capture some piece of it, uh, I think that's really... I, I actually think that's the engine of all the best stories that we know, or most of the best stories that we know, is that sense that we have a person living on the page. I used to say... Um, I used to prattle on about how the whole... this The big thing was to get life on the page. And Todd finally corrected me after listening to that for a number of years and said, no, no, really, the idea is to get life off the page and into the reader's imagination. I think that's uh, that's much more useful advice, although it doesn't tell you quite how to do it. It doesn't tell you anything about how to do it. <laughs> but that's the goal. You had a great... to know a goal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you had a great quote in the book. You said, facts and truth. Not only are they not synonymous, but they often have a very tangential relationship, although the truth must always be found in facts, some facts sometimes obscure the truth. Yeah, yeah uh, I think that's true. That's so we're gonna, it is complicated. 
And does it get less complicated, or does that element stay complicated? Well, you know, in my experience of writing books, anyway, I mean, in my experience as a as a human being, uh, no, that that fact just gets more complicated. (laughs) uh, But also, but also, you you gain a certain distance on it. But as a writer of books, I I think uh, what happens. Is I usually start with a with a with a bigger, much bigger set of uh, objectives than I end up with. Things get refined down and down and down, you know, um, to where you. And it seems necessary, at least in my case, if I want to, because the main thing I want to do is take a reader with me on a journey. I'm not trying to be. Um, I'm not trying to be professorial. I'm not trying to teach you lessons i'm not trying to not pre, uh, not 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 trying to lecture to you about the fates of populations and so on and so forth i that's not my main purpose i want a coherent interesting story and i want most of all i'd love to have a reader feel like you've gone on like a reader like they uh, readers feel that they've gone on a journey with me you know and they've enjoyed it maybe not all, all of it but but enjoyed the process the travel uh, so it's I'm being long-winded here, but but it's so things get refined down, and you just you do. I mean, I find myself saying, you know, sort of toward the end of a a book, okay, is this have I made this seem too big? Um, or or maybe put this another way, I had a I was writing a book about an elementary school teacher years ago. She was um, after time I became came to admire her quite a bit. Um, she wasn't one of those star teachers, you know. She had her faults and so on, but uh, she didn't give up. She stuck with it. She was good-hearted. She, she wasn't. She was smart and so on. One day, and she was really kind to her to this, these children who needed it, or as she once put it, they need what most of them need is a stable mother. But one day, she made a stupid mistake in class. She said something to one of the kids in class, the most troubling kid kid who had been driving her crazy, and everyone else in the class, something about, well, your mother didn't come to do something. It wasn't anything like libelous or anything, but it was critical of his mother openly in front of the class. I don't doubt that any of the other students even noticed, but she was afterwards just, now she had to go to her own little Catholic confession for that one. I I could have written that story, and um, I did, actually. But I cut it eventually because it completely mis it, it just loomed too big in a reader's consciousness. It just made her look like someone she wasn't. I mean, I could have done it differently perhaps if I were smarter, but we just decided, uh, and anyway, it was probably getting in the way. I can't remember all the details, but it's possible. To, I guess that's just my example of how. Well, I think you mentioned that, too, that the willingness to be able to sacrifice something, especially if it's really good or you wrote it really well, that's that really that's important. That is, what's critical. Yeah. But that was a third. classic case of facts getting in the way of the truth. Yeah. I think, you know, but, but in the larger question of throwing things away that you think are wonderful, we, we do say a fair amount about that, I think. That's really hard to do um, for young writers. It gets a lot easier, particularly if you rewrite a lot. You know, there's a, t- a time comes when you just say, oh, I just want this to work. I don't care how. 
<laughs> you know, okay, That's great. if I got this, it'll work, Todd? Yeah. Okay, I'll, sure, let's cut sure, it. Sure, out it goes. I've Hi. often uh, said to writers, other other writers, um, that Fitz, F. Scott Fitzgerald had a useful habit, which is that he, he'd write paragraphs or scenes that didn't fit, and he'd snip them off, off the page and and uh, put them in a drawer. He had a whole drawer full of things that didn't work. But but there, there they were, saved, in case he could use them some other time. Uh-huh. I doubt he ever did. Uh, of course he didn't. <laughs> but he had them. He had them. They existed. They weren't destroyed. Right, yeah. uh, we're going to take a short break. This is Ellie okay. Newman on That Got Me Thinking. I'll I'm be right here. back, <laughs> I'm here with Dick Todd and Tracy Kidder. We're talking about writing and their book, Good Prose, The Art of Nonfiction. This is KDPI 88.5 FM, Ketchum. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. I'm speaking with Richard Todd and Tracy Kidder. And, Kidder, you said you wanted to add something to the conversation we had prior to the break. Excuse me? You wanted to add something oh, to yes, the I conversation to, we had prior to the break? You know, on the question of throwing things away that you once adored or maybe even still adore, there's a time, uh, if if you rewrite enough, as I often do, which is perhaps too much, a time comes when uh, it's fun to throw things away. And I have, in fact, in this latest piece of work we've been doing together, uh, I have had to rely on Todd to keep me from throwing certain things away, uh, just because I guess I was sick of them. <laughs> Cutting high, um, but um, that's a rare quality too. Most most people do cling to their prose. And and speaking of unique qualities, would you say the two of you say that you have a pretty unique relationship as far as writer and editor? And Kitty said in the early days you were calling in at least once a day, and that you stayed at his house for weeks, and <laughs> you 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 know long dinners and. And that even just his voice is a relief, can be a relief from the competing voices in your head. So he's definitely, you are connected. Is that atypical? You know, I I think I I overdo the calling. In fact, I know I do. Uh, But he gives me a break between books. Um, It's not so bad. But uh, it is an unusual relationship, but not... And unfortunately, I think it's becoming increasingly unusual uh, as life in publishing gets more tumultuous. But there are writers and editors who um, who work together over the course of a writer's career, and I think on the whole, it's a, it's a good thing for um, for both parties. But but uh, you know, writers are different. I mean, that's one of the reasons the the, the good writers. Good writers are different from each other, uh, and thank God for that. You know, in, in every way, not because it means they produce. And, and on the editor's role, um, Todd, what 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 do you think makes you a good editor? You said you have a good eye for style. Um, what does that sort of mean? And beyond that, what what makes you a, a, a confident editor? Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I just. just uh, I think you're quoting something when I was describing myself as a boy um, in the coming into the business, and I felt really uh, that was my uh, my 
soul strong suit. That is, I did have a kind of ear for things that seemed to uh, be a little a little off. Um, so I had a I was I had a you know education as a sort of critic and and was a critic. Wrote a lot of book reviews and. I had a hypersensitive ear, um, and I suppose that's how I got started editing. The rest I kind of learned. You know, you you learn by trying to make something work by realizing that, um, as Tracy said, getting to the fundamental problem of a thing. In fact, getting beyond um, ticks of style and so on, is is important for an editor. I I I see a lot of edited manuscripts in which an editor kind of finds a tick in a writer's work and goes after it and you see um pencil mark after pencil mark that goes after uh some little really turns out to be minor flaw flaw but minor it's in, I uh, the older I get the longer I do this the the less my pencil goes to the page. I, uh, Tracy will point out that that's partly because my handwriting has gotten so bad that it can't. it's no use to put the pencil on the page anyway. But I, nonetheless, I think the more you can hold off, the more you can try to see the thing whole and see what the problem of the of the article or the book is and then go at it in a sort of hierarchical way the better off you're likely to be rather than correcting grammar or little faults of uh, of diction. Uh, You you try to go at concept first and then to detail second. I'm saying that, I'm sure you realize, he's not saying those little ticks aren't important. Oh, yeah, of course, they're they're huge, Uh, but they're, they're not, you can get, tangled up in them and miss the real problem of the piece. I think I sort of saw you as, as two characters in the book. I, at first I thought, okay, he's the fixer, like in Pulp Fiction. He goes in, he sees what needs to be fixed, he cleans it up and does it, without rewi- rewriting, of course. But then okay. also, as, as sort of equal balance, and, and maybe more importantly, you have to be a visionary, right? You are sort of seeing the whole structure and where it needs to go and what the, the essence is and you have to sort of be a visionary to be able to be a fixer, to know what needs to be fixed to get this train where it wants to go. Well, I do, but it's very collaborative in our case, and I think in in cases that, you know, you, you sort of, part of the vision is figuring out what the writer's vision is, what what the writer really wants to accomplish with what what made you write this book in the first place. What What is it really that fascinates you about this guy? Uh, so that kind of conversation can help. Well, and it's it, it being supportive in, in in developing clarity, right? Yes, right. And so let's talk a little bit about the experience of, in, in this book you just wrote together, The Good Prose, you were taking on different roles. You had said that for both of you there was one occasion yeah. as, as writer and editor. <laughs> and it seemed that earlier... Tracy, you had not been afraid to put pen on on page, and and you were surprised by that at first. What that felt like to be edited. Um, well, it's happened in the book that I wrote previously. Uh, um, <laughs> Tracy was very much not afraid to uh, to put pen on uh, pen to page, and 
I got back uh, a manuscript with Tracy has a a uh, an expansive and emphatic hand. Uh, to his credit, he you can read what he writes. Although in, on that occasion, I was not terribly eager to read what he wrote. He he was uh, he was very declarative about what was wrong with this with this book. So I uh, I learned something. I, I smarted for a while, um, but. Um, uh, yeah, that was that was the that was the case. That was the the clearest case of role reversal that we had in this book. Um, in good prose, we really uh, we worked. Uh, yeah, we were pretty polite to one another. <laughs> it's odd, you know. When I think about that, I it is true. I would never be so um, expansive or <laughs> indeed vulgar. Uh, my comments. Yes, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, quote the, the I couldn't quote the <laughs> phrases that would illustrate my point here, but on the radio. I can't so, even say the one word that was no. in the book. Something yeah. can it. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes. Um, but I would never do that with a student or a, a young writer who is struggling along. I mean, I. Sure, do it to an old friend. I do it to an old friend. Do <laughs> it to the old guy. I think I th- I thought I really honestly thought, oh well, you know we're professionals here, and um, but uh, it, it, it's true. It was really quite um, inconsiderate of me. <laughs> well, it, or the opposite, uh, right? Kind of it, 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 but it's the opposite too. It also demonstrates that that you all of the editing that you've taken. And the other side of this for 40 years has been a gift, right? So I don't think it, it in that vein it's not. Oh, now I'm going to really stick it to him. It's like this this shared. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you know, it might not have felt that way. But my only excuse is that I would have said those same things about my own mm-hmm. writing. So um, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is there? I'm going to ask a touchy question. Um, not on my outline, but just from the interview, is there a um, friction, either maybe not existing between the two of you, but existing outside that gets communicated between sort of whose book it is, whose idea it was, um, you know, to, to kind of have clear boundaries around that? And have you either of you struggled with that over the 40 years or um, – are, are the the lines delineated enough that that they don't get crossed, or, or do they not matter? Yeah, it's always clearly the writer's book, you know, um, and I don't uh, get the idea that it's mine. Um, I, you know, I contribute. Um, but we don't, you know, this is not the sort of, this is clearly an editor-writer collaboration. Not good prose, but everything else we do. It's not as if we, uh, it's not as if I sit down and uh, and type on the computer as Tracy is typing next to me. It comes to me, I give him my opinion. We talk, you know. Most of this is done in conversation. I've said uh, uh, more than once that uh, people have asked about our relationship. God help anyone who is trying to research this and look to manuscripts to find the answer because 
I think um, there is no answer there. Everything that happens between us happens in speech. We talk about what's there. We talk about what might be there. We talk about the problem, and and we agree, yeah, this now works. So um, it's all uh, it all vanishes in the air. I I think uh, you know I'm grateful for that. Um, I do wonder sometimes if Todd gets sufficient credit, um, and he doesn't deserve any blame for the mistakes he made. <laughs> um, I did dedicate the first book I, I'm willing to acknowledge um, uh, as to him, and, you know, I, I don't know. I I don't know what else one would do. I, I guess I don't really think about this very often because, I don't know, it seems what we're doing seems to work. I think it, it works for me. I think it's working all right. Has worked all right for him. We do what we do. You know, we're both um, both getting on. I don't know how many more times we'll do this. So, <laughs> it's a kind of retrospective analysis. Although I hope not entirely. I've, I've got I've got some really good ideas for the next thing. So, um, so there may not be as much. To discuss, discuss, excuse me. So there may not be as much smoking and, and drinking good red wine. Does the trip still happen when a book is nearly done? No, we haven't done that either. We do uh, still read aloud. We still read aloud. Uh, we've, we've, we've just done it last week. We read page proofs aloud. And that is something I think that um, we can wholeheartedly recommend to uh, writers. If you can bear it, you know, some people can't because you do. I mean, it, it is always humbling for both parties. That is, we you find typos or worse than typos, you know, repeated words that, you ought to have seen that if the, if the writer didn't see them, the editor surely should have seen that no word it's been used four times in a, you know, in a paragraph and a half, and and yet you don't often until you until you read it aloud. So that is um, that essential part of the ritual remains, and as I say, I think it's a it's a good one. You know, the other thing is about travel, traveling to some neat place. I mean, we could still do that, but I think both of us hate to travel. Uh, hate to travel anymore. Todd used to be a, a complete addict, and I, I, you know, after writing about Paul Farmer, Farmer, and then this guy Dave Gracias, and and then going, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty much traveled out. I still have to do it, and I, it, and 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 I think almost anyone would agree that if unless you're pri- flying. With private aviation, it's pretty unpleasant these days, by and large, <laughs> to get in these airplanes and uh, go to these airports. And I don't know. I, I just I, and we happen to live in a very beautiful part of the country. And uh, more and more, I wonder why I have to think hard to find reasons for leaving it. <laughs> And do you still do do your papers? Do you meet together and spread the papers out on the floor earlier on in the process? I, you know, I, we we never do everything exactly the same. Uh, I don't think we've done that for quite some time. Well, it's harder to bend over now. Uh, the floor was a wonderful surface for that, but <laughs> well, I had a table once for yeah. I think it was hometown, yeah. but I I I don't think um, it may be that the books we've worked on since then haven't. Presented big structural problems. I, I doubt that that could possibly be the case, though. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you 
It is funny. Thanks, James. I I do I recommend people that they do that, and I do do it. Um, you know, with particularly I haven't done it with a whole book, but I do it with um, with a chapter sometime to sort of spread it out. It can help you see proportions of yeah. what of uh, that it's harder to miss, and, and you know. It's hard to miss if you don't do that, and it's really hard to miss on the screen. I mean, one thing that we both do is uh, is print out rather than trying to to um, work entirely on the screen. The, it gets generated on the computer, of course, but uh, it's so hard to read sequentially with a sense of proportion when you're only operating uh, from the computer. Yeah, the other, the, one of the great things that's happened, I mean, they still say in their little letters to you, the publisher does, that you make a lot of changes in these uncorrected proofs and it's going to cost you. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is that it's always been this, the way, this way for Todd and me that when we see proofs of an article or a book is when is a, is a moment of revelation. Uh, one hopes that the whole thing isn't, the revelation isn't that the whole thing is bankrupt, but there's always, it isn't just reading those proofs aloud, it's the fact that you're reading proofs aloud. Everything looks different. Yeah. It's somehow all transformed, and and you see, and you can, so much easier to see things with fresh eyes. Well, hanging concentrates the mind, there's that. You realize yeah. that you're heading down the ways, <laughs> and this, this is actually going to be a book. But there is, uh, there, there is something to Type. I, I used to work with an editor who had, who used to be reassuring at, at, a, at the magazine when say, well, it'll be all right when it receives the authority of type, uh, and there is something to be said for the authority of type. But there's also the kind of uh, intimidation of type once you see it in the in the form that it's going to look, you know, it's going to be in. Ultimately, you think, well, this is serious business. We better get it right. But anyway, going back to your original question, we haven't spread a manuscript out in full for some years now, I think. That may be a good sign. Maybe yeah, well, it may be that the last time we did that was with good prose. Right. <laughs> we may be making progress. That that That's a nice thought. So you won't be spreading out manuscripts. Will you be doing a mock review on this next book to come out? Oh, boy, that's this afternoon's work. Oh, my God, we haven't done that. We have, well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Billy. We had so completely... Either forgotten or avoided that, but it's coming. Well, I, you know, I'm afraid I've got plenty ready. <laughs> uh, well, well, thank you both so much for joining us, and um, that got me thinking. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Well, it's nice to talk to you, Ellie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day and a great time with that review. Thanks. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye-bye.